Welcome to the Minor and Landis Immigration Update, the podcast that immigration professionals and foreign nationals turn to for up-to-the-minute information. In June of 2021, we released a podcast, Season 1, Episode 23, Learning from Success, How to Respond to a Difficult L1A RFE. This week, we want to outline two more L1A RFEs we received and how we dealt with them to ultimately get approval from USCIS. And by we, I mean Lynn Walker and Kristen Sisko, attorneys at Minor Atlantis and the writers of this article. I'm podcast producer Mike Polsonella, and today we're going to revisit the deference policy, a key component in the Minor Atlantis toolbox of strategies for successfully responding to L1A requests for evidence, or RFEs, on behalf of two clients. These examples that we cite are based on cases that were filed in January and February of 2021. As a reminder, all personal information is always kept in the strictest confidence at Minor and Landis. The identity and personal details of these client examples are changed or omitted entirely. So let's get started. Although we are now in November of 2021, we are continuing to see an increasing number of RFEs issued in connection to L1A petitions for multinational managers and executives. Nowadays, It seems that filing an L1A petition with a request for premium processing or converting a pending case to premium processing nearly guarantees the issuance of an exceptionally lengthy RFE from USCIS requesting information and documentation identical to that which was already submitted with the initial filing. Historically, the rate of RFE issuance for L1 petitions has been high, with the fiscal year 2020 seeing more than 54% of L-1 petitions receiving RFEs. So far, in 2021, according to the most recent statistics published by USCIS, 57% of L-1 petitions have been completed with RFEs as of June 2021. Since June 2021, however, it seems that the RFE rate has increased even more dramatically, We recently received two extensive L1A RFEs where we were able to successfully advocate on behalf of our clients to get their cases approved. Through the process of responding to these RFEs, we learned some key points which we believe largely contributed to our clients' success and that we'd like to pass on to you. As was the case in the previous podcast about this topic, both RFEs were what is referred to as boilerplate or kitchen sink types of RFEs where it seemed that the USCIS officer did not review any part of the original filing and requested all possible evidence and documentation, including evidence that had already been submitted, to establish that the employment abroad and in the United States qualified as managerial roles. Some of the evidence requested included organizational charts, the resumes of direct reports, the payroll of direct reports, evidence that the beneficiary has or will supervise professional, managerial, or supervisory direct reports, have the authority to hire and fire or recommend those as well as other personnel actions, and exercise discretion over the day-to-day operations of the activity or function for which they have authority. It's a lot of stuff that had already been gathered and sent. So let's get down to the nuts and bolts of our client examples for today. The first RFE was for an L1A extension for an operations director of an information technology company, 
wherein the beneficiary had two prior L1A approvals issued by USCIS, that's important to remember, as well as an approved I-140, Immigrant Petition for Alien Worker, as a multinational manager for the exact same role. While the operations director role abroad qualified as a manager of personnel, their role in the United States qualified as a manager of a function. USCIS issued a six-page RFE, stating several things. One, that the two-page detailed job descriptions with percentages of time allocations for the U.S. and overseas managerial roles were, quote, generic, vague in detail, and do not describe exactly what the beneficiary does on a daily basis, end quote. Two, that although organizational charts were included with the petition, quote, it was not apparent that the beneficiary is sufficiently relieved from performing non-qualifying operational tasks, end quote. And three, that the evidence submitted was insufficient to, quote, establish that the beneficiary's position in the U.S. and abroad are primarily managerial, end quote. Now, before we get to show how we overcame these criticisms of our petition, let me describe the second case, because the solution is more or less the same for both of them. The second RFE was for an L1A extension for a vice president of contracting of a travel and hospitality company. The beneficiary had one prior L1A approval issued by USCIS, as well as an approved I-140, as a multinational manager for the exact same role. The vice president of contracting role was a manager of personnel abroad and in the United States, with seven professional direct reports abroad and six professional direct reports in the United States. In this case, USCIS issued an eight-page RFE, stating three things. One, that there were discrepancies in the form I-129, L classification supplement, leading to the conclusion that the U.S. employer and foreign employer were not actually affiliated. Two, while the employer, quote, listed the beneficiary's responsibility with assigned percentages, the description does not sufficiently demonstrate the beneficiary's responsibilities were primarily in the managerial capacity, end quote. Even though the support letter and employment confirmation letter had job descriptions that were three pages long, and three, same as our last example, that the evidence submitted was insufficient to, quote, establish that the beneficiary's position in the U.S. and abroad are primarily managerial, end quote. In responding to these RFEs, in addition to providing the same supporting evidence as was filed with the initial petitions, we also provided the following additional information and documentation. One, a detailed index of exhibits, which listed all of the documentary evidence being filed in response to the RFE and the corresponding section of the regulation that the evidence satisfied. For example, an organizational chart of the U.S. position would evidence that the beneficiary will most definitely be employed in a managerial role. Two, we provided a detailed employment verification letter from the employer abroad, stating how the beneficiary's employment satisfied the definition of managerial employment as defined in the regulations. Now, this was supported by several documents, a copy of each direct report's curriculum vitae or resume, or where there were no direct reports, evidence that the beneficiary managed an essential function for the organization, such as payroll records for each report where available, internal or official job descriptions for each direct report's role, 
and work product confirming that the beneficiary exercised managerial authority and discretionary decision-making authority. Three, we also obtained a detailed response letter from the U.S. employer stating how the beneficiary's proffered role in the United States satisfied the definition of managerial employment, again, as defined in USCIS regulations. As an aside, if you want to know the actual regulation citations, Lynn and Kristen have provided them in the written version of this article, which is posted on both of their LinkedIn pages. Now, this response letter from the U.S. employer was supported by a copy of four things. Each direct report's curriculum vitae, or resume, or where there were no direct reports, evidence that the beneficiary managed an essential function for the organization. The payroll records for each report were available the internal or official job descriptions for each direct report's role, and the work product confirming that the beneficiary exercised managerial authority and discretionary decision-making authority. Four, and finally, we submitted a legal brief in response to the RFE, which included several parts, the most important of which I will outline briefly here. The rest you can, again, find on Lynn and Kristen's LinkedIn page. For extensions, where USCIS previously approved an L-1A petition for the same U.S. employer and beneficiary, we included a recitation of USCIS's own deference memo. Now, this is the really important part of today's podcast, and this is what we call the takeaway. The deference memo has been extremely useful in cases like this. And it goes something like this. On April 27, 2021, USCIS confirmed that it would again give deference to prior determinations of eligibility by an officer when adjudicating a request for an extension of petition validity. Under this policy, quote, USCIS gives deference to prior determinations. And I want to point out, prior determinations is the key phrase there. Back to the quote. When adjudicating extension requests involving the same parties and facts, unless there was a material error, material change in circumstances or in eligibility, or new material information that adversely affects the petitioner's, applicant's, or beneficiary's eligibility, end quote. That's directly from USCIS. So the fact that the beneficiaries in these two examples that we've shown had previously been approved under the exact same conditions means that they should be approved now. A discussion of how each piece of evidence listed in the index of exhibits satisfy the definition of managerial employment, as defined in USCIS regulations, and therefore confirmed that the beneficiary was eligible for classification as an L1A manager. And finally, we included a section also proving that there was no discrepancy or contradictory evidence listed on the Form I-129-L supplement. We re-explained the qualifying corporate affiliation between the U.S. employer and the employer abroad and provided, once again, copies of the corporate documentation, such as share registers or stock certificates, to establish that the two companies were affiliated. We believe that including the above documentation and information in this manner resulted in both cases being approved by USCIS. So L1A RFEs are very complex and challenging, as you can see, and there are many issues that must be assessed. And it is critical not to overlook any particular issue, as it can have a detrimental effect on the outcome of the case. Accordingly, we highly recommend that U.S. employers and foreign nationals contact a qualified, experienced attorney for a consultation as soon as such an RFE is received. Accordingly, 
we highly recommend that U.S. employers and foreign nationals contact a qualified and experienced attorney for a consultation as soon as such an RFE is received, so that the attorney may review the RFE and determine what information and documentation are required to proceed. Again, if you want to know the actual citations Lynn and Kristen have provided, all the documentation, citations, and footnotes in the written version of this article, which is posted on both of their LinkedIn pages. You can search for them on LinkedIn uh, under Lynn Walker, that's L-I-N Walker, and Kristen Sisko, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-I-S-K-O. And that's it for this week. Next week, we have another lightning round. If you'd like to submit uh, questions to either Lynn or Kristen, again, look them up on LinkedIn and send them a private message. We will keep all of your uh, personal information confidential. You can ask any questions you want, and they're going to try to answer as many as possible next week in a rapid-fire Q&A we call the lightning round. Thanks for listening. Disclaimer. The information contained herein is intended only for educational or informational purposes and is not a substitute for legal advice. Further, listening to this HR tip in no way establishes an attorney-client relationship between you and Minor and Landis LLP. Listeners should consult legal counsel for definitive advice regarding the current law and regulations and how those apply to your unique situation within your organization.